You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. And as always, I'm joined by our student pastor, David Wilson, who is going to lead us in a conversation today as we conclude our series that we've been studying every Sunday morning here at Cornerstone called Root Work. If you'd like to be a part of these conversations, if while you're listening, you have feedback that you'd like to contribute, we would love to hear your input. Every week we hear all kinds of stories and we get feedback from all across the world that then contributes to the conversations that we have and it allows us to know even better what direction the topic should be going in. So if you have any feedback, we'd love it if you would text us at 817-809-3040. We'll take all the best and most relevant content and compile them into meaningful responses for our audience and listeners. Again, thank you so much for listening. We cannot wait to conclude our Root Work Conversations. David, what an incredible series you've taken us on through the past five weeks at Cornerstone. For those who haven't been with us in person or even watching online as we do our live services digitally, We've been doing a series called Root Work, which is all about developing spiritual habits and formations in order to realign ourselves with the people that God's created us to be. It's been such a wonderful journey to be a student of the word as you've been bringing it to us, David. I just want to, for the sake of the whole congregation, thank you for all the study and preparation that you've been doing. I know that today you've got a lot. We always have a list of topics that we like to talk through and converse about in our Cornerstone Conversations. Today, you've got a lot to talk about. And I think it's because there's still so much more content that you weren't able to have time to talk through on a Sunday morning. And so I can't wait to just, again, be a student of what you have to say and respond to some of the things as we talk through them. But I think the first thing that as we're preparing came up was distance in a certain way. I would love for you to kind of define what that means and go into that. So this past Sunday, one of the things that we talked about a lot was being a remnant. The remnant are the leftover portion. They are the people in first Kings that we identified who had not bowed down to Baal or yeah. kissed him or kissed him. Yeah. And I love the way as you pointed that out, that it's not even just a bowing. It's yeah. like a full yeah. you know, display it's very of affection. Yeah. yeah. It's their whole lives are committed now to Baal. But the 7,000 that God has reserved, they are this remnant. They're this leftover out of this entire nation that's supposed to be following God. They're the only ones who have remained faithful to him. And so talking about a remnant, really what that brings up is then the idea of resistance. And so if we are to become that resistance in our age, because that's really what a remnant is, it's just Mm -hmm. a resistance to their current age, the way that their age operates, the way that the powers that be are structured in their time with Elijah, it was the evil king and evil queen who were pushing the nation away from God and towards worship of Baal. So there was a resistance, a remnant, a leftover who had not done that. And so in order for the church now to take up that same mantle where we're going to be the remnant, I think there's some instrumental things that we need to talk through what that actually looks like. And there's two phrases that I pull from a book called Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers, who's been one of the shaping forces in this sermon series, where we can set ourselves up to be this heartbeat that's going to steer and guide the church towards this resistance to our culture. Mm -hmm. And those things would be, you mentioned a distance, it would be formational distance and worship distance. Formational distance is being physically close to others, like proximity wise, and present in a dominant culture while being formed by a different set of influences, practices, and 
relationships. Okay, so just real quick, give me just a really practical example of this appearing in, let's say, my life. Yeah, so for us personally, it looks like being close to your neighbors, okay, knowing them, having relationships with people, emulating the model of Jesus, where he was friend of sinners and tax mm -hmm. collectors. He was friends of everybody. And so we should be the same thing. As the Bible says, we're to be in the world, but not of it. So I think that's what this is trying to indicate here. So in my personal life, I should know my neighbors. I should have relationships with the people. Regardless of opposing me. viewpoints. That's right. Or worldviews right. even. You know, that's the right. way that we approach faith or approach our beliefs and family structures or whatever. Yes. Regardless of the differences, mm -hmm. we should still be In close. proximity. We okay. should still know them. The idea that's being pushed against here is that we shouldn't become people who live in a holy bubble or a okay. holy cloister. Yeah. And we separate ourselves from the rest of the world's doing because we can now identify that it's really wrong and these ideologies aren't really about God and they push us to be something mm -hmm. that God doesn't want us to be. And so instead of us removing ourselves from our world and from our lives, yeah. formational distance really calls us to still be invested in people and okay. still be close to people. We still need to remain within the culture that we live in, but instead of being formed by our dominant culture, we are instead formed by a different script. We're formed by different patterns, by different influences in relationships. And those influences that we allow in are not going to be the cultural things, but instead going to be the word of God, our community, yeah. and the, God's presence. Those are the things that we need to be influenced by. And so we need to have this formational distance between our culture and ourselves. Okay. We need to be able to recognize what the culture is doing. We need to be able to look into it and see it for what it is. And oftentimes that will take a little bit of study and a little bit of nuanced understanding to yeah. try to peer into what's happening into the events and to see even past the events into what people are thinking and how they're talking about things. But what that will do for us is it will make us distinguishable from the rest of the world. And this is one of the great calls of the church is that we are to be a different sort of people. This is really from Genesis to Revelation. God is pulling out a people from the world, not to leave the world because you can't. Even Paul said that in our first Corinthians series. Right. If you tried to not associate with people of the world, you'd have to leave the whole world. Leave the whole world. That's just so <laughs> impractical and it's Absolutely. hyperbolic on purpose. Absolutely. Because you can't. But what we can do is we can become a separate kind of people who live differently, who act differently, who think differently, and who follow ultimately the greatest difference maker, which would be Christ. So formational distance, you're not suggesting all Christians go live on a compound together. No, of course not. And live in isolation from the no, world. No, but no. it's recognizing that although we are in close proximity with people who are in opposition to us, sure. we are still to maintain some distinction. That's right. And that distinction should really be the way that we live our lives. Because again, our lives have to be witnesses yeah. to Christ. Not just what we say, not just what we know, but the ways that we live. Yeah. And I would even say this, the distinction and distinguishing factors between us and the rest of the world should be attractive to the world. I agree. Healthy marriages, right. wonderful home life with your kids. And we're not trying to paint a, a false picture here. It's not like we don't have problems or issues or things that we have to overcome or go through. That's not the case either. I just worry that oftentimes in historic, especially American Christianity, mm -hmm. in an attempt to distance ourselves from the culture, we've yeah. ended up being the ones that became unattractive. That's right. Whereas a gospel-centered life and one that is rooted in Christ and mm -hmm. a life that is on mission with him is actually a really wonderful thing. Yes. And so our difference in opposition to the culture should be right. 
attractive. That's exactly right. Again, healthy marriages, healthy family, healthy emotional lives, yeah. a slowed down pace where you're just kind of a non-anxious presence and a person that people love to be around again, because all of that's bubbling up out of a joyful expression of your time with Jesus. Right. And so it should put us in contradistinction and opposite distinction to our culture's way of being. So it's not that we're distant physically, it's that we're formationally different. The way that we are being formed by Jesus looks different than the way that our culture calls us to be. And so sometimes that may make us look a little bit odd. Okay. But even in the book of Deuteronomy, God says through Moses to the people, now when people ask you about why you live your life this way, why do you leave the corners of your crops empty? Why do you leave margin in your life? Why do you take a Sabbath every seven days and not work to the fullest extent? Why do you give alms to the poor? Why do you treat your servants so well? We could just keep going down the list of, of what the law looked like in the Old Testament. Their answer is to be that we are a different people. Yeah. We are shaped and formed by what God wants for us. So why this is really important is because we have to remember that God is not calling us out of our lives. I think there's just Christian narrative that we're going to fly away someday. So what we do right here doesn't matter. Yeah. And I don't know that that's quite a biblical way of looking at our lives right now. Yeah. Just like what God said to Elijah in first Kings chapter 19, Go back the way you came. Yeah, and I hate to go back too far talking the First Corinthians series right. too often, but they were so but. focused as a church on the eternal nature of yes. their being that they completely missed the significance of the present nature of their being. That's right. And I worry that as a church, we fall into that trap often sure. where we say, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, <laughs> sure. whatever the song says, Yeah, that we get so focused on that that yes. we forget that we actually have a distinct role now. That's exactly right. God is calling us to be right where we are. Right. He didn't make us angelic spiritual beings in the beginning on purpose. He made us humans on purpose because he wants us to be an enfleshed expression of his image here on earth. Yeah. So we then have to embrace that fully human life and embrace it right where we are right now. Yeah. And so we have a lot of work to do right here and right now to be on mission and to be a part of this great story that God is telling all throughout time. And so that's the first distance that we have to have. Formational distance. Formational yeah. distance. We need to be formed by God's word rather than by our culture. And we should be distinguishable by that yes. formed distance. Absolutely, absolutely. So then the next thing is worship distance. This is being physically close, again, proximity to others and present to a dominant culture while worshiping and being empowered by a different divine source of power. So our culture would say that the divine spark is within you. If there's even any spirituality talk at all, that you're the divine, you're a part of all of this. I don't know that we could go as far to say pantheism necessarily, but you are your own thing. And in essence, you are your own God. And again, the culture wouldn't say it quite in those terms. Yeah, but that but is the, the intention of the mindset. That's right. So what we're supposed to be is different than that. We are our own gods. We, I think I even said this past week, we're not supposed to kiss the idol of self in yeah. distinction with Baal. We're not supposed to be worshiping that way. Our whole lives should be a lifestyle of worship to God because again, we're called to be many temples in which God's presence actually dwells. And so we carry his identifying lives as witnesses wherever we go. So whatever he's about, we need to be about. And the more effective we can be in forming our whole lives and our roots to be witnesses, the more that God will use us to be a transformational power for that reformation and renewal in others. And so the more that we can both be doing the right thing in the formational distance, but also living it out through the worship, we don't just live for God through a set of ideas. We actually worship 
a being. We worship God. He's a person. And that worship will then proclaim the Lord until his return. Yeah. And that is one of the functions of what we're supposed to be doing in church is we're supposed to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus by the ways that we live, by the things that we do through our worship expressions all the time. And that will set us up as great witnesses. You know, and not only that, one of the biggest takeaways that I've had from this series as I've been learning is that we have to become mm-hmm. and we have to be before yeah. we do. That's right. Right. And this idea that we are many temples, what's the point of a temple? Yeah. It is the place where we bring worship and praise right. to God. That's and right. if we are then an extension of the temple, yep. then our being should be rooted in that, in the worship and adoration of God. And then all the things that we do are an extension of having been right. a temple and a place where the Holy Spirit resides. That's right. And that worship signals something. Yeah. It signals that God is supreme in our lives. Exactly. I mean, everything else is important. Don't mishear me. It's not like we just go away and cloister off so that we can worship for 24 hours singing and not eating. That's not the kind of life that God's calling us to. But the fact that everything is framed around him and that we do spend part of our weeks and part of our lives worshiping God, proclaiming that he is king, that's an important statement from us to others. And in our world of hyper connectivity, the church has really an enormous opportunity here to live out the life of Jesus in their context. So being patterned after Jesus in every way will not only put us on mission, but speak to the world to a legitimacy that we are actually followers of Christ. It allows us to believe in the legitimacy as well. A lot of us believe in Christ, but don't act as though we believe we are legitimate extensions Mm -hmm. of his being or that we are the place where his spirit resides. We don't act as though that's a legitimate part of our lives or the way that we operate. And maybe because on one end, we do have some glaring inconsistencies in our lives. Yeah. And so we think we have to fix all those in order to be good for God or whatever. And I think that that's what is beautiful about the invitation of Jesus is that you don't have to be perfect and you can have a lot of inconsistencies still. Yeah. And God will work in you and through those things to then use your life as a witness the more that he transforms you. Right. And so actually it becomes an opportunity for us to then show that even though, yes, we are still sinful, we still make a lot of mistakes, we still do a lot of things wrong, even through that. We still press on Galatians chapter six, don't grow weary of doing good Hmm. because in due season, it will yield a harvest of righteousness. And I think that that's what we ought to be doing is right now with all these spiritual habits that we've been talking about through the series, all this root work stuff, what we're doing right now is we're sowing seeds that will later on produce righteousness within us. And so that's why it's so important. And really what that legitimacy of our lives being witnesses will gain us is actually more currency to speak to our culture rather than pushing for more and more relevancy ever could. Mm -hmm. See, I think we wanted to speak to the culture. We wanted to share the gospel. And so we made ourselves relevant. But what will actually define us and give us true legitimacy is a genuine life patterned after Jesus. Then people will be able to listen to you because you're not fake. Yeah. And people can see right through that. They absolutely can. So it's in those still and quiet places that we encounter God and become that living alternative to our world. And that living alternative will bear the witness to the reality of the kingdom of God, that it is present. It's right now in me. I'm a part of it. I'm a mini temple. What I do and how I'm being formed is happening as a result of Jesus in me. So what will then happen as a result of that legitimacy is that others who don't know Christ yet, they'll begin to recognize us. Like Paul encouraged the Corinthian believers towards the end of the letter, that when they come in and see our lives, when they come in and see our church, they will say like the unbelievers in Corinth, surely 
you have God among you. Yeah. And I think that there is no better compliment to be paid by our culture than to have such a legitimate life witness through our formation and through our worship that someone might say, wow, there's really something about you. I like to think of an example when we were in Romania, we took the youth group and there were a bunch of other people that went on a mission trip to Romania. I think it was 2017. And one of our wonderful students was praying with some person that we met in their home that day. We were just knocking on doors and asking if we could pray for people, yeah. hoping to share the gospel with some. And one of our students prayed with a woman and the woman at the end of the prayer was in tears. And our translator told us she's crying. And what she just said was that she can tell that God's with you guys. Wow. What a meaningful thing to say. I mean, that's such a powerful testament. And it wasn't even that the prayer was just this magnificent. It wasn't like Mary's song that's written down in scripture. It was a lovely prayer. Don't get me wrong. But what that lady recognized was the genuineness of it. More than it being a perfect cadence of words, that woman recognized that this student had God's spirit in them. And I think that that's what we're after. And so how we get to that place, it will be form and fire. Form and fire are what make up what we've been talking about through this root series. Now I'm just giving it kind of an official title. So there are churches who have emphasized form, which maybe could be distilled into theology, doctrinal accuracy, programs, scalable models, whatever it is. It's what you do. And then there are churches who have emphasized fire, which is spiritual awakenings, filling of the spirit, miraculous signs, incredible worship services, whatever it might be. Now what the church actually needs is both. As opposed to one end of the spectrum or the other. That's right. Yeah. And each believer needs both. So what it will require from us to see both the form, which is the doing, the understanding of our faith, mm-hmm. and the fire, which is that expressive, emotional, active thing that's happening there yeah. in our faith. What will then happen if we blend those together is we'll start being more of an open person, ready for whatever God has done. So what we see in the scripture in those kinds of people The perfect example of Paul and James, when they're at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, we've got this moment where there's this debate about form versus fire, where Mm -hmm. you've got the Jerusalem church that has the form down. They've got the orthodoxy, they've got the theology, they've got all the doctrine, they've got it right. Yeah. But then there's Paul's church, which is up in Antioch, which is really more of a Gentile church. They may not have the perfect orthodoxy or theology or whatever yet, but they've got the fire. Yeah. And what you see happening in the Jerusalem council is an openness by James, who's the head of the form church Mm -hmm. and an openness by Paul, who's the head of the fire church to come together and make a decision about here's what we're going to require of the Gentiles as they become Christians. So now we're putting into code, into a rule. Yeah. There's a structure in place. Yes. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do moving forward. And it's a beautiful example of how we can then approach our lives moving forward. We'll then have a different lens around what's possible for God when we open ourselves up, not only to the form, but also the fire. So here's the thing. Some people I think are more bent towards fire. Yeah. And some people are more bent towards form. And I think there's a lot of things that contribute to being swayed one way or the other, depending on your particular upbringing. Yes. Let's say you were raised in the church or not. Or what kind of church you were raised yep. in. There's or a lot. even just your built-in temperament. Absolutely. And personality. I think there's a lot of things that would sway one person to be more inclined towards one end of the spectrum or the other. I 100% agree. And so what I think the task for each of us then is to do our best to try and combine them. So yeah. if I'm a person more bent towards form, then I would need to be open to God's fire, to his spirit moving. Yeah. And if I'm more of a fire person, I need to be more open to incorporating more of the form of my faith so that when they combine, we have this beautiful moment where God's spirit is doing something 
based upon his word, but it's also this wonderful thing that maybe I haven't experienced before or sensed before. And now it's pushing me and growing me and others are seeing the wonderful things of God go forward. And so this form and fire is really important for having the spirit move among us, because I think sometimes we are closed off to one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah, I totally see that. And so God can't move that way. And since he can't move that way, what you're doing is illegitimate. And what I'm doing is perfect. <laughs> Which, what a naive way to yeah. approach the world and especially approach That's other right. believers. We talk about this often. We look at our own beliefs and our own standards and the way that mm-hmm. we approach scripture regularly. And we can't ever approach things with the mindset of, we believe it because it's what we believe and not have the scripture actually tell us Sure. What it says. Sure. It's just what we've inherited. It's just what we've inherited. And it's a really naive way to view scripture and to view other believers to say, we have everything 100% correct. We have everything all the way figured out. And anyone who differs from us is wrong. Right. What a naive way to view your world and to view your brothers and sisters in Christ. I agree. We have to understand that there are nuances and differences on purpose Mm. and the people who maybe interpret scripture a little bit differently and have more of the form or more of the fire or whatever it is that they are doing that with all sincerity as they approach scripture and they've ended where they've ended on purpose and with reason we have to approach each other with the grace and nuance to know that there's maybe validity in things that are uncomfortable to us and i would even bet that if you talk to people who are in one group or the other yeah. In their own personal conversations, they would even have a nuanced view. They would oh, say, I'm yeah, sure. our church is highly formed, but also I'm ready for God to move in these ways. Yeah. And I pray this way and I have experienced these things. And also the same would be true of the other side where they would say, yeah, our church is full of fire, but also I spend time every day in God's word. With spiritual and, disciplines and, and with structure yes, and form. Absolutely. Yeah. Because again, we want to typecast. We want to make yeah. generalities. And I think that that doesn't help us. No, and it's honestly kind of dangerous. We could say, here are the denominations <laughs> sure. that are on this side and here are the yeah. de- denominations on this side. However, that's just not always an accurate portrayal. Absolutely. So I think a real resistance practice for us then is we need to have an expectation of hopefulness for God to move as we continually make him our input. And the more that we can do that, I think the more that we can stop worrying about what other people are doing so much and start worrying about me being filled with God's presence right here. Yeah. What does the spirit want you to be doing? Who does he want you to be now? And then what does he want you doing as an extension of who he's created you to be? Yeah. So maybe to sum up, form is what we do. Fire is the spirit moving among us. We need both to be filled with God's presence. So our next step then isn't so much about what we know we should do and more about stretching ourselves to engage in worship more expressly. Yeah, because I would imagine most people know what to do. Yeah. It's just that they haven't practiced it and formed themselves into the practice of it. Yeah. The pattern, the rhythm. Yeah. Maybe another thing we could do is pray for others more than ourselves. I find myself praying for myself a lot. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about myself. And it's in my own self-dialogue. It's hard for me sometimes to remember I need to be praying for other people. Yeah. And maybe that's a great exercise. And maybe something that you do is you say, my Monday morning prayer is always going to be for others. I'm not going to mention myself even one time. I know if you're in person with us at Cornerstone, you likely know Leah Harrell. One thing that she did with some of her students and with her class was they spent, I think, an entire summer just praying thankfulness. Mm. So for the entirety of the summer, I don't want you to approach God with any requests. Just thank him for what he's mm-hmm. done. And people found that transformational in the way yeah. that they approached God because it wasn't any more about their needs and their desires, but it was instead a reflection and 
really focusing in on what God's already done and a praise for that. It was incredible. That's so good because it takes the center off of ourselves. Yeah. And it makes God and others the point, which again, I think Jesus would be really cool with. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing we could do is really look for ways to serve others. And again, if we slow down our life, if we have margin now in our lives, if we're taking Sabbath, if we're starting to spend more time with God, like we've been talking about, then I think we'll begin to recognize opportunities a little differently. Yeah because our lives won't be so jam-packed and rushed. Instead, we'll have opportunities to make relationships in different ways, mm -hmm. uh, more intentional ways that can kind of perceive beyond just the exchange of words that is happening in a relationship yeah. and actually see maybe there are ways I can get really specific about serving these other people. Looking maybe for ways to converse with others about God in really approachable and appropriate ways. Maybe it's patterning our homes after more time spent with God and each other rather than just the endless activities. And listen, I'm not anti-activity. I'm not anti go out and have fun. <laughs> Don't mishear me on that. I'm just talking about taking some specific time carving that out and saying no to other things in order to say yes to time with the Lord. And I think this list could just go on and on forever. Yeah. yeah. But maybe these are some ways that we can instill both form or fire into who we are right now. Right. It's not going to accidentally happen on either side of the spectrum. You're not just going to accidentally find more form. That's right. You have to make it a discipline to That's where right. you say, I know that this is an area in which I'm lacking in yeah. my spiritual relationship. And in order to gain more traction in that department, I need to put in the effort and intentionality to get that. Yeah. So to accomplish everything that we're talking about in this series, where God's presence fills the earth, because ultimately that is what's going to happen. That's the end point of history is when God's presence completely fills the earth. We won't need a sun anymore because God's light will cover everything. Yeah. He'll be the king. He'll reign with us in person. So that's the whole goal. And so how we begin to start making that a reality right now, because we do have God's presence within us mm -hmm. to start working towards that end goal that will only happen as a result of our root work. So it's not flashy and it's not fancy. It's actually fairly simple. The church must really be good at spiritual habits and prayer, yeah. which prayer is a spiritual habit, but I emphasize it on purpose because it's so important for us. I think we have this idea that spiritual life for God and with him is sometimes separate than what we're already doing right now. For instance, like a mission trip, mm -hmm. that's godly work. That's God's time because it's not my normal life. But right there, you can see the distinction. As if we can, we can schedule God's time. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think that we have this dichotomy and I think that this dissection of life is actually harmful to us. So what we've talked about the last week in the last podcast is that there's no sacred or secular divide. Not truly. It's actually an illusion. So when our whole lives revolve around Christ, then our normal everyday life is actually an opportunity to live with and for the Lord. And so the way that that happens though is actually through the practice of prayer, through the practice of Bible reading, through investing in our community, through tithing, through scripture memory, through the spiritual habits that we know fairly well already. Yeah. But see, these things that we think as just normal everyday Christian life, I think we take them for granted a little bit because we have the New Testament. If we were to put ourselves in the New Testament, imagine a Jewish person who's maybe spent time speaking to God but wasn't yeah. sure if he was heard or not or whatever. And we still have to go to this temple and that's where God's presence is. And imagine reading the words of Hebrews that now says that because of Jesus, we can now approach God. We can speak directly to him. I think we take that for granted sure, that we yeah. have this kind of relationship with God. So through these kind of, in quotes, normal things of the Christian life, actually those are the gateway 
for a deeply rooted life in God. Yeah. And you know what? I think you're totally right in that we take these things for granted, but also I think we've normalized them to the yes. point to where people no longer find them as reasonable things to work towards. Right. And they're and, not the big spiritual things. Right. And so one implication of that though is you and I, we counsel people a lot. And one of the big things that happens when people come to us with an issue is we find that one of the root causes for people feeling a lack of spiritual community or not being able to find a solid routine in prayer is because maybe they haven't been in the word hmm. or maybe they're not able to get That's into right. the word and you find out it's because they don't have a spiritual discipline of prayer. Right. Or they say, I can't get into community. And you find out it's because they're not engaged in serving others. Right. They're all interconnected, but because we've turned it into the normal things that yeah. we take for granted, yeah. then we don't see them as underlying causes for our spiritual unhealth. I totally agree. And if nothing else, this Root Work series was designed to talk about how the spiritual practices, the habits that our church has already been talking about for a long time, with some additional ones that we've thrown in here as well. But the things that we've been talking about and, and preaching about for several years now, this is the gateway to be in God's presence. This yeah. is the gateway to more personal health, to more personal wholeness to more of an integrated life in God. So I want to bring up some of those additional practices that we've been talking about just as a way of review, slowing down Sabbath, silent prayer, announcing the gospel, telling the truth in love and interior examination. Hold on. That was a lot just then. That's quite <laughs> a list. Let's just pause on those for a second. Yeah. So slowing down, what are you talking about? So again, this was saying what is valuable in my life. These are my values. And so if God's one of those values in my life, then I'm going to start putting guardrails up to say, no to certain things so that I can spend time with God. And what that will look like is saying no to things that hurry us up, speed us up, and instead slowing down the pace of our lives by getting rid of some activities, by getting rid of some schedule things that we might have going on, and instead patterning into our life time with him. Yeah, because God walks alongside us, That's so right. don't run past him. That's exactly right. I think that was the example we used. And so then Sabbath was the next one. Yeah, which, oh, by the way, I think it's a fun thing to note. So my family did, a few weeks ago, we talked about what our Sabbath time looks yeah, like. Yeah. Right now we do a monthly Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And so my family did our monthly Sabbath and... For the first time, we were able to get my children to sit still for one hour and be quiet. It's magic. And it was magical, <laughs> I have to say. But honestly, at the same time, that hour, my children were so respectful to yeah. one another. They were respectful to my wife and I. They were listening and doing things that were purposeful and intentional and yeah. just that time because we have a structured sabbath yes. it's structured and unstructured we have things that are yeah. structured and yeah. things that are not but one hour of quiet time is part of our structure of what we value during that time and having that one hour quiet time changed the rest of the day for my wow. children because they recognized that there was a time that it was important to slow down and rest. Well, and it sounds like now it's becoming a part of their expectation. It's an expectation. And they talk about quiet. it. They ask for yes. when the next Sabbath is yes. going to be. And we put it on the calendar. We talk about it. And we talk about how nothing else is happening these days. Yeah. And so they come home from school asking for Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I wish that was our mindset all the time. Yes. That we just craved being restful with and, God. And rest, exactly. I love it. So then silent prayer was another one. And I've heard a lot of chatter about silent prayer. Silent prayer is fantastic. Okay, so one thing that happened recently, this past Wednesday, is we started up our summertime elder-led prayer yes, meetings. Yes. And we spent some time in silent prayer together. Yeah. And that was just incredible doing something that's very personal. Mm -hmm. And we were still in community with one another. Yes. And we all just sat there and just were with God. Yeah. We weren't talking necessarily. We weren't necessarily expecting him to talk. 
We were just with, just with him. him, but we were with him with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was a beautiful moment. That's really powerful. And I've heard a lot of just really positive feedback on this practice, particularly. I guess I think it's hard to define this one and it's hard to nail down a thing that has these parameters around. So I think people have really enjoyed doing it because it's just a moment to imagine being with God and imagine yeah. him right there next to you. Not, you don't have to imagine. I mean, he's there, of yeah, course. Right. But just extending your mind to think that You're dwelling on the understanding that he's with you. It's not just, again, taking for granted that he's there. Because we know that as believers. We're indwelled with the Spirit. We've got him everywhere. We know that. But But becoming cognizant of that. Yeah, just knowing, like, here I'm present with him. Yes. And we are together. And just the being together is what matters in this moment. So then announcing the gospel, which this one, I know this one's really tough because it's hard to tell our story sometime. And it's hard to integrate into our own lives, the telling of the good news of Jesus Christ and that wonderful story. So I don't want to push too hard on this one as if you're not doing this, you're not being deeply formed or something like that. I don't mean that at all. I think that's a result though of more and more time with God, more and more time of being with him. What will naturally exude from us then is an announcement of the gospel. Yeah. And it is something to aspire to. Absolutely. You know, I think announcing the gospel is easier than people hype it up to be. Yes, I agree. We, with practice, and with just a little bit of intellectual understanding mm-hmm. yeah. are all capable of announcing the gospel. It's just overcoming some personal fears yes. and removing some of the baggage that's in yes. our own hearts. I guess I just want to encourage people who are Absolutely. listening. If that's not something that you're at all comfortable with right now, it is obtainable. Yes. And it's actually probably a lot easier than you think. I would 100% agree. And the more that we make it less transactional unless this thing that we know we have to do. And here's the one, two, three, four, five steps to do it. And the more it becomes just a part of our conversation Mm -hmm. with the person, I think the more natural it'll become and and the less intimidating it'll become because now we're just talking with people as opposed to presenting to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Then you had two others. What were they? So then there's telling the truth in love, which this one just, I mean, it feels obvious. Yeah. This one, this one is both difficult and easy. Yeah. Don't be the worst, (laughs) you know, but also there is truth that needs to be dispensed. We just need to do it from a loving heart. So, and then finally into your examination, which is the becoming aware of myself. Yeah. Just Um, a little self-awareness. That's right. Becoming aware of the things I've experienced in life and becoming aware of my history and how it impacts me now, but not just becoming aware of myself to know myself, becoming aware of myself with God to know me the way that God sees me. Right. And it's asking the spirit to reveal our nature. That's right. So that then we can ask him to correct it. Absolutely. So all of these things coupled with the spiritual practices we're already doing, I think they will fuel and feed more time with God. And the more that we become familiar with them, the more that I think we're going to grow to become like Christ. And so the ultimate point is that the spiritual practices are the patterns that we need in place to fill our life systems with the healthy input of God's presence. And here's a really important point. They are physical, like serving other people, taking a Sabbath. I mean, that's a physical thing to do. It's a thing you actually do. Yes. They're mental things like being cognizant of God's presence Mm -hmm. through silent prayer. They're emotional, like interior examination. And all of these patterns are actionable steps that when we do them, when we incorporate them into our lives, what we're doing is not just incorporating these things. Yeah, right. What we're actually doing is we're creating guardrails 
in order to put God as an input to our life systems, his presence being with us. And so it's not as though we make transformation happen or we make spiritual growth happen. However, we do have a role to play. We have effort to put forward. And when we put forward that effort, God will eventually show up, whether it's right in the first moment we start it or it's down the road a little bit as we begin to pattern these things and become more cognizant of his presence and begin to be thinking like him and thinking with him. Yeah. Either way, we're going to get more of Jesus. Yeah, one thing that we talk a lot about in the discipleship process is that everyone has a part to play. Yes. If I'm investing in someone, let's say you're my disciple, David, and I'm investing in you, and I'm doing everything I can do, I'm doing my part, I'm really trying to push you towards spiritual maturity so that you can grow in Christ and become more like him. I'm doing everything I can. We can trust that God is always active in doing his part. Yes. Sometimes then your part mm-hmm. is the part that is remaining stagnant. That's right. And everyone has a part to play. Yes. You know that God is going to be active in playing his part. Yes. So are you active in playing yours? That's such a great assessment question. So then renewal will be a result of our effort to be with God. So once renewal is happening in us, we will begin to sense the bigger story that God is writing in the world. Uh, we'll begin to start attaching ourselves to that story and live into that story, like what we talked about last week in the podcast. So from there, renewal will begin to extend from us because it's just a joyful expression of who we're becoming as we're just with God. So the hope then ultimately is that our renewal can go viral and that is revival. So the hope ultimately is that we would see revival as God does an amazing work through us. But even if revival doesn't occur, we're still in God's will doing what he wants. And that is a sweet spot to be in. Yeah. That's exactly what Romans 12, one through two is. We make our lives then a living sacrifice Sacrifice, and we're not conforming to our world's patterns anymore. Instead, we're being transformed by God right now. And we're living into his will, which is to be transformed, to become more like him. And isn't that revival anyway? It is. And that kind of is the point. Whether or not your revival goes viral, you experiencing it personally, that is a win. Just think of the word. It's to be revived and revitalized. And that will happen if you are allowing God to transform you. That's so good. So now I want to plug some of the books that I've been reading. But first, I want to read the ending story of Reappearing Church. This is Pastor Mark Sayers. This is kind of the end of his book and really the reason why he wrote Disappearing Church and Reappearing Church, which are two of the source materials for this. He says, it's a sunny June day in London and five of us are squashed into a tiny upstairs room. After sensing that God wanted us to visit historic sites of revival to pray for renewal, my wife, Trudy, and I have flown 25 hours across the world. We are in a small prayer room attached to John Wesley's bedroom, now converted into a museum. Here, each morning, on bended knee, Wesley would open his Bible and pray. It occurs to me that this room was the furnace of prayer, which drove much of the revival that spread out across the world in the 18th century. I think of the small stone Wesleyan chapel, a couple of miles from our house. He lives in Australia, by the way. Built by Methodist missionaries who would travel out of Melbourne, preaching the gospel on horseback in what must have felt like another planet. My tourist demeanor is punctuated as the Nigerian tour guide kneels down at Wesley's bench and asks me to pray. Surprised, I look around the small room. Next to me is a Korean pastor who doesn't speak English and his friend who is wearing a fluorescent yellow shirt with revival written across the front. My wife glances at his shirt and smiles at me. I begin to pray. 
tempted to offer a perfunctory and reserved prayer, but then it hits me where we are standing, this room, this city out of which God burst a renewal beyond parish boundaries into the world. For well over a decade, I have interpreted and recorded our post-Christian moment, all while pastoring in the grit and grind of secular soil. I think of the friends and colleagues who are no longer in ministry, those who had walked away from faith, the churches I knew that had shut their doors, the mission movements that were on their last legs. Dare I hope that God would again pour out his power on us? I can't even remember what I prayed first, but I think it was a prayer of thanks for Wesley. But this moment wasn't about praying a mere nod to what had gone before. Here, the past was an inspiration, a dangerous counter-narrative to our myth of inevitable decline. Another story to remind us that in a secularizing moment of globalization, God can still move. So my prayer shifted to the future. God, do it again. God, revive us again. Raise another generation of John Wesley's. Trudy, his wife, raises her hands in praise. Soon the Koreans are praying as only Koreans pray. As English and Korean prayers fill the air, a museum becomes, again, a place of worship. A sacred space is carved out. My heart fills. The defeat that has lingered over me for 15 years disappears. A disappointment so assumed that I didn't notice I was wearing it like a shirt. Wesley's great achievement was not that he sang his own song, but that he rediscovered God's song and sang it afresh over a newly emerging landscape. That is the heart of renewal, the soundtrack of revival. This is what we are being called to do again. And he goes on to ask, will you sing God's song over our secularized Western culture, over our globalized world? Will you contend? Will you seek out the hungry and form a remnant? Will you seek his presence with all your heart? Will you, with a growing chorus of millions across our world, cry out, do it again, Lord? And wow. I thought that wow. that was just yeah. <laughs> so powerful because that is what I think we all want. Right. I think we all want to see revival. We all want to see God do it again. And I think that that is just a beautiful prayer. We want to see his glory revealed. And I think that that is really my hope in the root work series is that we become points of renewal. We become points of God's presence so fully that then it begins to permeate out of us and we can see revival and renewal happen from us. Yeah. So if you're interested (laughs) in this topic at all, if you've been like really curious about what's the source material for this, what are you even saying while you're up there? If you want to learn more, then I'd love to recommend a couple books. The one I just read was Reappearing Church. It's by Mark Sayers. It's the second of two books that he put together. The first one is Disappearing Church. Disappearing Church, he, at the end of it, felt like, I wrote that really well and it's really great, but also there's more hope than this. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then he wrote Reappearing Church to remind us that it's not all over. And then there's another really great book by Pastor Rich Velotis. It's called The Deeply Formed Life. I've recommended it multiple times during the middle of the series. And then after you've listened to Cornerstone Conversations, which is your favorite podcast and you should give five stars to, you should also listen to another great podcast, which is Mark Sayers and another pastor out of Oregon talking about this cultural moment. And actually, that's the name of the podcast, This Cultural Moment. And you know moment. what, David? We can actually put the titles of these podcasts and titles of the books in the Ooh, podcast description. Yeah. So anyone who's listening now can go back and put them in their Amazon carts and yeah. read them in your free time, maybe on your Sabbath. Oh, that would be a great idea. Now, I know this has been a lot of information through this series. I recognize that. But what I hope we've learned is that God has so much more on offer for us than our culture. He wants us to experience wholeness and integration in our lives. He wants us to be transformed from where we are now to where he sees us. Yeah. 
He wants us to be a living witness to the alternative way of life that is shaped by his kingdom. And he wants us to work as he works in us and through us as we form new habits and then re-engage our world from our time with him. And then I think what he really has on offer for us is wonderful, wonderful days ahead. I want to refer one more time to Mark Sayers. He says that what we're experiencing right now, maybe as we see a decline in attendance of church and maybe influence in culture, whatever, what he sees not as a decline into nothingness. Instead, what he sees is the tide going out. And so as the tide goes out, if you've ever stood on a beach, it's going to come back it's in. It's going some point. to come back in. And that's a faithful expectation. Yes. And so what's happening as the tide is out right now is that God wants to do some work in us, building momentum and power from our time with him. And so when the wave is ready to come back, it'll come back with force and with power. And we will be on the forefront as we do this root work that we've been talking through. We'll be fully prepared for it. Yes. Because we will have been formed. That's right. And we'll be ready to hear when God's ready to push us in that season to start seeing renewal go out. And so God's presence will once again break out in mighty ways as the tide comes back in. So I think that's my prayer for me, for sure. And I think for all of us, for all of us, that we should be like what the tree is in Psalm chapter one, where the input is God's presence. That tree is planted by a stream of flowing water. And we need to be like that tree where we are ready to produce fruit when the season is right as God is growing us in the meantime. So that should be one of our prayers is that we would ask, invite, call down, whatever you want to say, we want to see, we want to contend. We want to see God move as he moves in us and then out of us to our world. David, this has been such a convicting and challenging and I'll even say reviving series. And I'm so thankful for all of the work that you've put into bringing us Sunday morning content. And I know that there are countless people who have begun the process of implementing some of these spiritual practices because of the information as it's been presented. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for where we are going to go how God is shaping us and changing us now to be more like him through these spiritual practices and disciplines. Again, if you have missed any of our Sunday morning series, or if you want to go back and re-listen to some of these podcasts, because I know that they're weighty with a lot of information, all of the podcasts are available on our website at cbc.family media. Again, all of our Sunday morning series are there as well. And then this podcast is also available on all of the major podcast distributors. We'd love for you to get engaged in this series. Go back and listen to it again and be challenged in the days ahead as we all work to be more rooted in Christ and for our lives to be a better reflection of the renewal he's doing through us and in us. We can't wait to get started on our next series. Next week, we're actually going to take a break from Cornerstone Conversations because we have something really exciting planned for our Sunday morning series that won't actually tie well into a Cornerstone Conversation. We'll be back in two weeks as we start up our summer series, which I am proud to announce. And this is the first announcement that we are going to be going through a study over the Apostles' Creed through the summer. So again, we're so thankful for your input, your feedback, and for all the ways that you invest in this conversation as you listen. We can't wait for the days ahead for more.